You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. We're looking at this series, um, and we're calling it Plant, as we're looking at what does it mean to start churches. And for some of you, you might hear in our church and other places this term church planting and have no idea what it means. Some of you more green-minded people are thinking of like rooftop gardens. You're like, oh, are we one of those churches? If, if you're empowered to do that, find a roof and we'll plant something. But uh, we're talking about starting churches. That's, that's the language used, church planting. And I want to encourage you, if you were not here last Sunday, highly suggest that you listen to the sermon from last week because we really dug into the mandate that we've been given, why our church, the village, is involved in this work of church planning. So highly encourage you to go to the website, find a podcast, and catch up and listen to that. But we're also giving little glimpses of kind of what God is doing in our church. So we're going to show a brief video here to highlight a little bit what God has already done. It's funny, I, I can't pinpoint something specifically where like I was this person one day and this person the next day, um, but as I reflect on my years at the village, um, I definitely see growth in so many areas of my life and my walk with God um, is something that Dave and I actually talk about quite often. Just, you know, I, I started coming to the village as a single person who generally, you know, believed in God and, you know, lived according to, like, Christian values, but um, now through the village I've been baptized, um, I'm married now, and have a little guy, and, you know, sing on the worship team, and just God is in every aspect of my life, and I feel like I have such a close relationship with Him because of being in the village. It's very funny. I think I see myself differently than other people see me um, because I still very much feel like um, like an immature Christian in some ways and I have so much growth and so much that I don't know um, or that I know are my weaknesses that I need to work on. But somehow I've all of a sudden become the older married mom that other people are looking up to. <laughs> Um, which is encouraging in a way too and kind of um, makes me feel like um, motivated to, to keep going on my own spiritual journey so that I can be a mentor to those that look up to me and I hope that I can do a good job for them. The village has always been there for us and we love the village. Too many feels, right? But it's, it's, it's good to recognize how God has worked and continues to work and for us to celebrate his, his move throughout our community. But here's, here's why we're showing things like that and why we're hearing from different people. It's critical for us to recognize that life transformation like we see in Amanda's life and many others and, and maybe including a lot of us here in this room. It, it's really important for us to recognize that those things happened because a new church was started here at the village over 10 years ago. That stories like that and others are transparent. It happened because another church in the city sent out a small ragtag group to say, yo, go start a new church in this place called Hamden and, and call it whatever you will. A village? Really? Okay, we'll start it. And, and that's what we're talking about in these few weeks here. Why do we start churches? So can you join me as we pray and ask for the Lord's leading? God, we do ask for your help because I, I, I really believe apart from your move, this is just our plans 
things we're excited about, but we want it to be much more than that. We want it to be rooted in what you're telling us through your word. And as we obey through the power of your spirit, would you, Lord, rush some of our hearts, Lord, to conviction. Lord, we are a people prone to kind of just be where we're at. And that's good. We want to be present. But, Lord, you've also called us to action and obedience in many different ways. So help that to happen in these weeks and beyond. So we ask for your help, Holy Spirit, to take what are simple words and use them, Lord, to be your power. So we thank you. Guide us in this time. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today, uh, our, our title is A New Family, and that's pretty self-explanatory. We want to look at the idea of what does it mean for the church to be this new family of God. And when you look throughout the Bible, there's a lot of metaphors that are used to describe this thing we call the church. We use uh, there's terms like building, light, rock, uh, or flock, um, sheep. Um, and and a, these, a lot of these images, they're kind of used to describe what the church is like. Um, and that's a metaphor, right? Some of you are good in grammar and stuff. You know what metaphors are. It's like a word to describe what something's like. Not quite exactly, but that's, that's what a metaphor is. And another pe- a word that people use as kind of a metaphor is family. Like when we think about the church as a family. But the thing is, that's not really a metaphor. Because it's, it's literal. Like it's not just saying the church is supposed to be like a family. Um, it is a family. When we look into scriptural mandate for what this whole thing is supposed to be, it's supposed to be a family. When we're found in Christ, God is literally our father. And for some of you that didn't have the best background with dads, this is an incredibly comforting word that God is literally our father. Jesus is our older brother. We are sisters and brothers in Christ. And, and it's interesting when you look at the tracking of the Bible, um, throughout the beginning parts of the New Testament in like the book of Acts, when it's describing this group of the church coming together, you see this word disciples used a lot. Disciples are kind of what's used to mark the people of God, followers of Christ. We talked about that last week. But it's fascinating that after the book of Acts, that word disciple starts to get replaced by this word brother. Like when you see them writing about the people of God, disciples starts to get replaced by his word brother because Paul and other authors just hammered it in this idea. Yo, you're all more than just a group of people coming together. You are family now. And here's why that's so important. Because it's really easy to think, especially when we're talking about a new church, it's really easy to think of it like a startup. And there was even the startup podcast last year caught a lot of attention among Christian folk because they actually did their podcast for a year following a new church in Philadelphia. Because there's a lot of elements involved with like starting up a new business that are similar to church planting. Um, if we're not careful, we can think of it almost like franchising. Wow, you know, God's doing something good here. Why don't we just replicate that model over here and kind of make it another franchise of the brand? We can have business models, organizational structures, and I want to be really clear, all those are helpful elements. You need all those things, but we can't lose sight of the fact that one of the reasons that we start a new church, it's simple obedience to live out this radical identity that God has given to those people who say we confess faith in him. When we talk about why we start new churches, we're simply living out who he said we're supposed to be. And our radical identity of God's people is centered here. We're talking about who we are because the identity of family, this was an extremely radical and 
for some, maybe even scandalous way of thinking about the people who would say they follow and worship God. Uh, Look with me at a story of Jesus and his family. You think you have family dynamic tension and drama? Even Jesus had a little bit of that. I, I, I would suggest he didn't cause it. It's everyone else, but he was in there. Look at Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 31. And this is talking about Jesus' family. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So the context there, Jesus is just going off, doing ministry, teaching. And a few verses earlier, he already had some contact with his family. Um, In verse 21, it would say, when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. So you know how people can talk, right? And some of us have been around people who can talk. Um, some, Some family members are hearing what Jesus is doing. They're like, yo, your brother's gone crazy. He's out there saying he's, he's like miraculous, working, healing, teaching, acting like he all that when he was just like hammering a piece of wood a little bit while ago. Maybe, maybe it was that nosy aunt or that neighbor. So our, we already know that they're probably not there with like a care package saying, oh, Jesus has been out there doing ministry. Let's put him a little care package to encourage him in his work. They're out there to like get control of their, their family member because Jesus has gone nuts. So they make the request. And, and just communicate because they can't get in because there's a crowd around. So, yo, can you tell them, yo, we're here? Like, we, we, we're the VIPs because we're his family. Mama and brothers, we're here. Um, and then Jesus makes this reply that you hear, right? Who are my mother and my brothers? You all are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, that's family. And, you know, we don't have listed here their actual response, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were a little ticked off. If I went somewhere to travel to see my family and they got a lot going on and they're important maybe. And then I hear, oh yeah, he's with other people saying they're his family. Sorry, you're going to have to get a ticket too. What? That little, whoa. I mean, it's realistic that his family was offended. But I would suggest also it's possible and probable that it was more than just his family who are probably offended here. Because we got to understand, this is more than just a family squabble, but this, this hits on a much deeper level. Because for most of us in this room, and I, I love that we got an international representation, so not everyone is here from America, but at least for those who've grown up in a Western kind of concept of family dynamics, Jesus' words here, I mean, they might have been shocking, but they, they probably don't really mean like that much. I mean, a lot of us, you have developed a deep circle of friends who you would probably, and without shame, say, you know, I've got people who are like my real family. I've got people who actually like ride till I die, kind of like their family. We might not be blood related, but yo, that's my family, my my circle of friends. Um, But in Jesus's world, verses 34 and 35, what he said there would have been extremely scandalous, as it probably still is in many parts of our world today. And some of you who are here, you're, you're chuckling because you're not from a Western background. So you, you understand completely what I'm saying. That in the New Testament world, similar to a lot of places in our world today, group takes priority over the individual. So the group's well-being, the family's well-being always comes first. 
You don't think about yourself first. You're thinking about the collective group. In the New Testament world that Jesus was speaking into, the person's most important group then was their blood family. So the group is uh, primary, and then out of the groups, your most important group is your blood family. And in that world, the closest family bond was not the bond of marriage. I know in, in, in the Western world, we elevate marriage as the ultimate relationship we can ever have. And on that day, you're looking, there is no greater relationship than this person you're looking at. Um, that's all cool. But back then, it was the bond between your siblings. That was actually like more significant than one between your spouse. And it's funny because you, you see this tracking in larger culture now where a big cultural shift that we're seeing in our, our, our nation right now is kids moving back in with their parents. And some parents like, yo, I spent decades trying to prepare you to get out. And now you're living in my basement? What's going on here? Um, but in Jesus' time, that was just normal. And, and it's similar, I think, to a lot of non-Western cultures where um, children, you would live close to your parents, probably even in the same house if you had the means. The, the family unit would also be the business units. You're working together. You're sharing your trades together. The family bond was tight and long-lasting. But I would say it's more than just family. For, for the Jewish culture, their close family, God, this was a significant aspect for them to also know God. For them, this was about knowing God. Because loyalty to family, it was, lo- it was uh, local, and it was a specific way of living out the blood that has been passed on through generations in Israel as the people of God. The line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you, family was how you worship God. So if you threaten this link, you break this link, you're not just ticking off Uncle Joe. Um, you are undermining the basic building blocks that, that the Jews had in looking at their lives and their value. And it was so connected to their blood relationships, their ancestral heritage. So take all of that context into mind and then hear again what Jesus is saying when he says, who are my mother and my brothers? Whoever does the will of God, that's my mother and my brothers and my sisters. And, and Jesus, he always flipping stuff. It wasn't just tables in the temple, right? He always flipping stuff around. With one clean swipe, he let the folks there know that his mission was again different than what they had always known or thought it'd be. Jesus was starting a whole new family. He was, he was gathering a new holy people and it was without regard for human family bonds. Jesus was saying, yo, what it means to belong, here is what you always thought what it meant to belong, especially when you think about your blood family. But now it's totally different. Who was family was now a whole other matter in this new kingdom that Jesus ushered in. When Jesus said family, he meant something radically new and different. I would suggest beautiful. And the apostle Paul who followed after Jesus in in continuing that mission, he echoed some of these same thoughts as he wrote to the church. Look at one verse from 1 Timothy, a letter he wrote in in verse 15 in chapter 3. It says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So notice here, what does Paul call the church? He calls it the household of God. The church is the family of God. Paul refers to this thing, whatever we would want to designate. It says, yo, this is a household. It's a family. 
And, and I think if we just extrapolate from that for us here, one thing that we have to um, maybe wrestle with is some of our conception of what, quote-unquote, the church is. It might need to be altered, especially here in the West, in America, because the church, what this means, it's not just about what we do, but it's about who we are. Because if you would look at some of the ways that we define church, especially in our modern-day culture here, where we are, um, we might not necessarily use the words like household. We might say the worship service of God is the church. Or the acts of, you know, we, we think about the things we do. We think about this thing as we come together in these meetings and gather together. And I'm a big fan of that. That's important. It's good. But what it means is if we take seriously about this idea of household, about family, if the church is really a family, it can't just be a meeting once a week on a Sunday. It, it can't just be this thing as beautiful as I, I mean, I love this, right? This is great. But it can't just be this. Because if that becomes our functional shape, we will cease to be what we were designed to be. And as a family, we will slip into a dysfunctional family. You've heard of that, functional families? Dysfunctional families. Um, we might actually even become more like an extended family. Well, what's an extended family? Extended family are those folk that you don't really see all that often, but a holiday coming up and you've got to drive far to get there. And, and you go into this place. And maybe sometimes you, everyone makes like these T-shirts so you all kind of identify with one another. And like you wear the clan, and, or not clan, like K-Clan. I'm like, whatever. I'm not even going. That's not my notes. But, <laughs> but it's extended. It's, it's not really deep. You see each other once in a while. You even sit at the same table sometimes. You share the food. You try not to talk about things too deep because you don't want to extend yourself and get that deep or that like uh, crazy with people who are extended. There's connections, but you probably wouldn't say you're all that close. And the functional rea- reality is if, if that's what we do here on Sundays, we just kind of gather every once in a while, come even weekly, and, you know, maybe even share like a meal together as we talked about a few weeks ago, and we even share some of our time. If that's all that church is, guys, that's not healthy. Because when we say the church is a family, it's meant to create a picture of the church that's so much richer, so much more significant than even family has been for some of you. When we're talking about the church as a family, for some of you, you'll be like, "Uh, I don't know what that means because I didn't really grow up in the best family structure. And we're helping to say, this is what it was meant to be. Because some of you, y'all got biological families that look like, I say Cosby show. That man, does any of you know what the Cosby show is? You saw it on like Nick and Knight, right? Because it's so old. But like think of like that model TV family where like they do stuff that you're like, no one, no family does that. Some of you grew up in that. I visited some of your houses. I'm like, wow, real people do this? This is great. But, but a lot of us, maybe that's not your family background. And it was filled with a lot of uh, dysfunction, anger, brokenness, envy, jealousy, maybe for some of us even violence, hurt. The thing is, God is inviting us into a brand new family. And even if that's part of your backstory, God is rewriting the story. We, we see it described even further in places like Romans chapter 8. And Paul again is writing here in verse 14. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul says a whole lot here that we're not going to dig into in every way here. But what he's saying in general is that when we receive this spirit from God, we have been called sons. And I don't know if you viewed yourself as a son or a daughter. Maybe you view yourself as a religious adherent. You, you view yourself as someone who just kind of does some stuff for God. Yeah, you need to like crush that because what he's saying, yo, you're family now. You're like my boy. You're my girl. You're my child. You're not slaves any longer. You're not trying to pay off a debt. You're not trying to prove yourself. You're not trying to be acceptable to me because that's not what kids do because kids are not acceptable. But a parent loves them and receives them and helps them to be all that they were meant to be. That's who you are now. You're my kids. And this has tremendous implications for our relationship with the Father. God looks at you. God loves you. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, how far from God you might feel that you are, when you are found in Christ and your life is transformed, the Father looks at you and as if you share the same blood, says, you are mine. I choose you. You are mine and you receive everything that's part of mine. And the thing is, I think in kind of a... Um, Americanized version of Christianity, we kind of like to stop there. And we even write a lot of songs about it, about how good our father is and everything that I have in him and all the inheritance I have in him. And now I'm a precious son of God. Now I'm a beautiful daughter of God. Look at how the father looks at me. And and we can easily stop there because we're an individualistic society. And we're like, look at what God has done for me. Isn't it great? But guys, the Bible never stops there. The Bible keep going. Because there's a corporate sense of adoption here. It's not just that individuals have been brought into the family of God. There's a family. And that's what it says. You're right. Children. It's not just talking about child. Children. Then you are heirs. Heirs means there's more than one. It means a whole bunch of adopted people are coming in together. And it's like big daddy comes into the adoption house, into the orphanage. It's looking around. It's not like, all right, who am I going to choose here? Who's the cutest one? Who's got the most potential here? Who am I going to give my riches to? Because I'm like a daddy warbucks and I got a lot and I want to share it. But I only got room for one. That's not what God does. God walks and says, y'all are invited. Y'all invited to come into my family and be part of this, and y'all gonna share in this inheritance together. That's amazing. That's family. Because it doesn't just stop with us, this good news of being in the family of God. So I hope you've seen a little bit about what it means that the church is a family, not just like a family. Not just like another version of kind of like a, in Christ, literally the new family of God. But I also think for a moment, we got to talk about what family does not mean. Because sometimes I think in church, we can talk about family, but it's not necessarily in the most healthy ways. Because I think if we're not mindful, if we're not intentional, we can become so much about the church family, like this group here or the people that make this up. That, that we can become satisfied with merely taking care of our own. Like when we talk about family, and I, I love churches that like have deep, close, and they even use words like family all the time. They got no problem with thinking about stuff as family. But if we're not careful, we can start to put boundaries upon who's in that family or not. And like, we are so close. We are ultra close. We share everything. Yo, I am going to go to the end for this person. You have a need. I'm right there for you. But it's really hard to break into that. It's really hard to break into that. Um, 
we got a lot, uh, I'm prepping you right now. We got a lot of cultural, uh, social debate right now on issues of borders, immigration. Some of you are, oh no, man, I thought you were going to preach the Bible. We got to go. I'm not getting into all that. All right. That's another sermon. But what I will say, there's a lot of debate right now and a lot of um, very heated discourse. And in a room like this, I'm sure we all line up on different sides. And I think there can be valid things that you can talk about all the issues. It's not that simplistic. But here's one thing that troubles me a little bit. Uh, And it's not a partisan thing. I I would say it's a people of God thing. I'm starting to see a rising sentiment of others as less valuable than ours. That's the thing that troubles me. I mean, whatever side, partisan, politics-wise, you want to be able to back it up with Scripture. And I will back you if you're backing up your views with Scripture. But the one thing I can't tolerate is if I'm looking on social media and starting to see memes getting some wildfire and spreading. And one I just saw, um, it was like a little cute, really beautiful-looking meme, right? But here's what it says. You owe more loyalty to your descendants than to complete strangers. Because that's kind of like the driving mentality here. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, and this is a Christian. You go to their profile, unabashedly Christian. But, hey, in the end, we got to be pragmatic because how, how many resources are there? And in the end, we got to take care of our own. That, that, that's what a family does. You take care of the ones you're responsible for. So, yeah, compassion to the ends of the earth. Let's send people all around the world, but keep them there because we only got so much here. And again, I think maybe some people can back up what, why they believe that way. But here's the problem. We got a gospel that keeps saying like crazy radical stuff like love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't think there seem to be qualifications on what that means. It doesn't mean you don't love yourself. I don't think it means that you like suffer and you get rid of everything you have so you can give to someone else. It might be for some of us. Take care of yourself. Love yourself. Love your family. Do everything you can to provide for your own. But it doesn't mean that you also think of others as less deserving of things that maybe you have to be able to share. And I think we've got to be really careful when we talk about it because it's not just the national discourse thing, but I see it happen in churches all the time if we are not careful. Because the family of God is always meant to be growing. There is meant to be biological growth and spiritual growth. It's a good thing. And guys, that's why we start new churches. But one of the biggest challenges to starting new churches, if we're just getting brass tacks, just get down to the nitty-gritty, it's that Man, we only have a certain amount of revenue. Or golly, I mean, we only got certain, we, we've, we've, we've got needs in our church. We, we've got, I mean, I know there's kids out there that need to hear good news and be loved. But man, our, our children ministry is growing. We've got so much here. Oh man, you know, I, yeah, I would, uh, yeah, if we had extra, we should, sure, let's go do more stuff. Let's send people all, but man, we've got so much need here. And, yo, people are going to stop coming if we don't take care of people here. And, guys, I, I don't, I'm not saying that as it's indicative of us, but we've got to be really careful that when we talk about family, it doesn't become this insular, barrier kind of laden thing that we stop thinking about outside of ourselves because that's always what the Christian gospel is. Always meant to grow. Always meant to grow. And that's why we have new churches 
because it's an invitation to family. Ultimately, a lot of other theological reasons, but one of the big reasons today we're talking about why do we start new churches? Because we want to invite more people into the family. We start new churches so we can best put ourselves in the best place to invite and welcome new people to be part of this family. It's like what Jesus um, is described about him in John chapter 1, starting verse 12. But to all who did receive him, and this is talking about Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This has got to be really clear. This is not our noble idea. This is not like some um, fanatic, like, loves Jesus with everything and, and a person's idea or, like, a great strategic plan. This is not a noble cause. Guys, we are merely living out the very promise of God that he says here. That he takes those who are orphaned in this world. And when I'm saying orphaned, I might mean literally, but I also mean spiritually. Orphaned, away from God, without family, without a home, without a place. He makes them all family. That's what he promised to do. That's why Jesus came into this world. So y'all think like a musical like Annie, right? Whether you old school version or you newer hip hop version. I prefer the hip hop newer version. But whatever Annie you like, you love that story, right? A little orphan girl, you know, singing songs about tomorrow and, you know, waiting for someone to come and make them own. And and we see like Big Daddy Warbucks come and like rescue and give this new house and think I'm going to like it there. And, you know, all that stuff dancing around. And we're like... You know, they get the heartstrings, and you're like, oh, this is so beautiful. And got, um, yo, that ain't got nothing on God. That ain't got nothing on God. That's like, a, that's God appropriation right there, right? That's God's idea. God's already done it. He's done it much better. He's done it throughout the gospel because that's what gospel is. It takes a whole bunch of orphans and says, through the work of Christ, now you're invited in this family. Receive that. Receive this new blood. Become part of this new family. And the amazing part of how God does that, it's, his, it's through his church. It's through his church. Guys, that, that's why anything we can give toward helping more experience being God's family is worth it. Anything we can give towards that in our time, our resources, our prayer, our money, anything we can give is worth more people receiving the family rights of knowing God as their father. Including being sent to serve in a new church. Including being sent to serve in a new church. And I'll invite Nicole up here and Pastor Andy as well. And uh, Nicole is actually committed to serving in the new church. So we wanted to hear from her a little bit, kind of uh, what's going through her heart and her mind, and to give you a glimpse of someone who is following God's call in this way. Yeah, so um, Nicole is actually the first person to say yes to, uh, to coming with the church plant. So we thought it would be really great to... Um, hear from her what uh, what her hopes and dreams are uh, with this. So uh, I guess my first question would be, um, what made you say yes to uh, deciding to be a part of, of us fleshing out what is this new expression of the village? Um, so the village has been talking about planting a church for a number of years now. Um, and it's something I've kind of always been thinking about and praying about. Um, and getting to see, especially Pastor Andy, kind of work through what how we think that's going to, uh, what we think that's going to look like, um, and just 
hearing the mission of, you know, bringing the gospel to people. I think as someone who ended up at the village because it was close to where I lived, um, I think that that's something that is so, so, so important. Um, And I want to do whatever I can to make sure um, that other people in the city um, get the same experience. And how would you say you hope to see that um, flesh out inside of that community? Um, so one of the things that um, I am thinking about and committing to doing for the church plant is being a part of the children's ministry um, and helping to run that and start that. Um, and so I want to make sure that especially the the young people um, in Greenmount West and Station North, um, get the opportunity, the the same opportunity that the kids here do, um, to be able to have fun and play with each other and have a safe place to be. Um, I volunteer for an organization that actually does quite a bit of youth work in that neighborhood already. Um, And we are not going to have as much programming next year as we do this year. Um, And so knowing that we are already thinking about how we can do that um, in ways that kids can still um, be involved um, is something that um, I'm really excited about and that they get to hear the gospel and and get to see the love of Jesus too. Well, we're really excited to have you join the team and everything, so thank you. So it's it's exciting to see uh, more folks from the village who are Uh, taking steps to be part of this new work. And in the end, again, it's not about making a name for ourselves. It's about having more people be able to know who Jesus is, be part of the family of God. Um, Just, we talked about this a little last week, but I wanted to reiterate, this is not, okay, well, Pastor Andy got a vision, and y'all, we'll we'll give him the name, but y'all go out and do your own thing. We are looking at this as a real collective effort for all of us together. This is something that we are looking to do together. And that includes my role. I'm going to be, I've already been working with Pastor Andy. I'm still obviously going to be here as well. But uh, in any way I can serve the new church, I'll be helping there to preach, to lead, and however I can support this new team as they get going. And we want to encourage you as we think about what this church is. We're not just kind of clapping. Oh, you all go do work hard. Do a good job. Um, How can we be involved? We talked about a few things last week. One, pray. Even one minute a day. Put up a little card on your mirror in your car say pray for state village station north and just be praying and imagine a couple hundred of us praying for one minute a day for the new church give you know as you give faithfully here to the village um we we're thankful for that but maybe you set aside some extra giving we talked about one dollar per day and a dollar per day if it's one of us honestly that's not all that much but a hundred of us, if a hundred of us commit to giving one dollar a day setting aside for the next year, imagine what can go towards helping this church to get going. And I'll, just a side note, for some of you who have families here, some of you who maybe have children, I would encourage you to make this a joint effort with your children. Get a little piggy bank, get a cute, fat little piggy bank and say, this is for the church plant. Every day we're going to drop a dollar in this together and we're going to pray for this thing and start teaching and discipling your children right from the beginning what it means to be part of God and why we do this because we teach our kids. It's not just about our family. It's not just, we love our family, but it's not just about us. It's about helping other people to experience the family of God as well. So let's do this. So pray, give. And obviously, as Nicole shared, we want as many of you who feel called to go, to go. And some of you are not early adopters, right? 
you wait for like iPhone 10 like in five more years. Some of you are. If you are, follow the call of God and go. But maybe some of you, you make a six-month commitment, a 12-month commitment, 18 months, and say, I'm not quite sure if this is like my long-term thing, but I want to go and help out short-term, like I would be on an extended mission trip, because that's how we're going to view it. So we give you permission, not that you need it, but we give you permission to release you. If you are feeling this call, talk to Pastor Andy, talk to people like Nicole, and say, how can I be involved in this thing? How can I be involved in this thing? Um, a few years back, a friend of mine in the area, they were going through adoption process and they were adopting a child from overseas and they were a pastor's family. So, uh, against the national, the pastors don't make that much money, right? Some of them do, some of them got jetliners, but most of us don't. Um, so this pastor didn't have much money, but they wanted to adopt. So they started fundraising campaigns and the way that he, uh, talked about this, he would write stories and then he would say, Help me pay the ransom. Because the way he was looking at it was, his child was somewhere and was held captive. That's the way he was viewing it, what kept him going. My child is being held somewhere, and we need to help release. And this is the ransom that's required to make that happen. So help me pay the ransom. And I think in the same way as we think about the gospel going forth from this place, and if you can even imagine uh, those who have nothing to do with God, who are maybe angry at God, who maybe right now, at this moment, 11.09 on Sunday morning, are fighting off whatever happened to them last night, and they're thinking, is there even a God, that one day there would be a church in their neighborhood that started because there's a few faithful people that decided to pray and who wanted to give and go and are willing to pay the ransom so that more people can come home, so more people can come back to the family. And that's what we want to do as a church. Can I ask you to stand with me? As we respond, I think it's appropriate to think about the table. And we do this weekly, but it's helpful to think with fresh eyes at times. When we come to the table, we're remembering the broken body of Jesus. And we're remembering his shed blood that he sacrificed and poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And we're thinking about ultimately we pay the ransom, but not because we paid the ultimate ransom. Ultimately, Jesus Christ is the one who paid the ransom for us. Ultimately, he had his body broken. He had his blood shed. Why? So he could purchase us at the only cost that would really work. And for you, if you confess faith in him, Jesus has paid your ransom. And I want to invite you, come up here, take a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, come up both aisles, and be reminded, remember the sacrificial ransom pay that Jesus did. If you're not a Christian, I want to invite you into the family today. If you're here and you have no clue why you're here today, may I suggest it because God is gently wooing you to say, I want you to come home. I want you to come home. Maybe you've been far from God. God is a father who looks at you and he's not shaking his head. Man, when are you going to get it? He's saying, look at what Jesus has done so you can be part of the family. Come, receive the communion, maybe for the first time as a follower of Jesus, as a child of God today. Let me pray. Lord, help us as we think about church planting. But honestly, Lord, even deeper than that, just who we are as a people, as your family. And for some of us, Lord, again, family brings up a lot of triggers because it's not a comforting term. May you heal us, Lord. And may we start to rewrite the script, even in this community here, what it means to be family. Some of us who've come from amazing biological families of origin, may we share some of those things with new family here, Lord. Whatever our background, I pray the one common thing is you're moving us to want to share that with more and more. It was never meant to stay with us, Lord. 
that we would love our neighbor just as we love ourselves. So help us as a church to collectively seek to help this new church, church to get going so that more people may be able to be welcomed into a new family. As we respond right now, Lord, remind some of us the family that you've paid for us to be in, even in this place. We love you, Lord. We love you. So I would encourage you to pray, sing, receive the Lord's Supper. It's gluten-free, so it's open to everyone if that's an issue for you. But come, remember Jesus in this way.